Good morning. As Ryan said, my name is Shane Hatfield. I'm the campus minister here for RUF and for Grace. And it's my privilege this morning to get to lead us in our final sermon on the topic of holiness. I'm sure this won't be the last time we talk about holiness, but this will be the last time for this specific series that we talk about holiness. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Colossians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 17. The, the scripture text will be up there on the slide. I'm going to, instead of reading it all at once, I'm going to read it in different chunks. Okay, so we'll take it in different points. Um, I once heard a pastor say that holiness is learning to love what God loves and hate what God hates. Holiness is learning to love what God loves and hate what he hates. And we can't do, love what he loves and hate what he hates without the Holy Spirit. So let's take a moment to pray together and ask that the Holy Spirit would come and speak to us now. Please bow your heads and pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for this wonderful opportunity when we can hear from you and you can speak to us through your word. We come this morning as people who love, who often love what we love. Uh, we love ourselves. We love our own feelings, our own desires, our own wants. We love our own time, our own possessions. And Father, oftentimes our loves are misaligned. They're out of order. We do not love what you love. And so we come to you this morning and we ask that you would teach us to love what you love and hate what you hate. We pray that you would speak to us through your word. We pray that you would show us the glorious life that you've given us in Christ. Pray that you would show us the identity we have in Jesus and how that radically changes the way we think and the way we act towards you and towards ourselves and to everyone around us. Please help us. In Jesus' name, amen. I've titled this sermon, uh, Growing in Holiness, Learning to Dress Like Dad. And I called it that because uh, um, a few years ago, uh, Tucker and I got in this phase where he wanted to dress like me. And there are positives and negatives to that. Um, and it was really special to me. It's kind of surprising, you know, when you become a parent, uh, oftentimes I think you, you imagine like the most special day of a parent is the day when your child is born. Like that's kind of what you think. And it is a very special day, right? Like you can't go back and relive that day over again. It's special to hold that child in your hands for the first time. But there are other special days. And uh, as, as Tucker began to grow, as he got older, um, we would, you know, oftentimes we'd get ready for church and Tucker would come in in the mornings before church and he'd say, Dad, I want to be Twinkies. I want to dress just like you. And so we would go to my closet and we'd kind of look for some things that, you know, maybe he liked and we'd go to his closet and we'd look for some things and we'd try to, you know, more or less find an outfit that kind of matched each other, right? Maybe we'd both wear a blue shirt and some blue jeans or, or something like that. But those days were special to me. And dare I say, I would cherish those days even over the day of his birth. It's, th those days are more special. And the reason why is this. Because when Tucker was born, he was born a Hatfield. Okay, June 24, 2008, Tucker Tyler Hatfield was born. But when Tucker comes in and he wants to dress like me, it shows he's growing in his desire to be a Hatfield. 
He's becoming more and more a Hatfield every day, for better or worse. And if you've seen some of my fashion choices, you'd know sometimes it's for the worse. Now, I tell you that story because as we look at this passage, as we examine it, we're going to talk a lot about dressing, putting on, uh, taking off certain clothes, putting on other clothes. And the, the image I want you to have in your mind is that growing in holiness is learning how to dress like your father. That you have been given a new set of clothes or a new identity. And as you grow in your Christian life, you grow in your desire, in your ability, in your willingness, in your understanding to receive the clothes that you've been given, to take off your old clothes, and to put on the new ones every day. Okay? So we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the new clothes that we've been given, taking off the old clothes, and putting on the new clothes. Now, if you're a young listener, if you're a young whippersnapper, Emory likes me to give a few things for you to look for. So, this is what I want you to pay attention to, okay, youngins? Or if you feel young at heart, okay? One, what is the most important question for you to answer? One is the most important question, okay? Two, what is the most important virtue? The most important question the most important virtue, and then lastly, what clothes did Jesus wear on the cross? Okay? The most important question, the most important virtue, and the clothes that Jesus wore on the cross. Okay, you got that, Emery? You ready? That was a scared look. All right, the first thing we're going to look at is these new clothes that we have been given. Uh, This is Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So in these first four verses, Paul clearly lays out the identity of a Christian. He says that Christians have been given this new identity because they have died with Christ, they've been buried with Christ, they've been raised with Christ, they're hidden with Christ and God, and that they are so intimately and permanently connected to Jesus that when he appears, it's as if we will appear with him in glory. And we literally will appear with him in glory. Who are we? If we're Christian, we are in Christ. That is the defining characteristic of us. We're in Christ in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, his ascension, and in his return. That's our identity. That's our self-perception, our self-image, our self-concept, whatever you want to call it. That's who we are. Now, um, some scholars think that when Paul uh, preached this, or when he wrote it, or maybe at some point he used it, during a baptismal service for baptisms. And if you think back to baptism, we have them here, or maybe whenever you were baptized, you know that that baptism is a sign and a seal of our union with Christ. It's a sign that we have died with him, that we have raised with him, and that we have ascended with him. It's a sign of our new identity that we've been given. And the early church used to symbolize this. I think we should start doing this maybe when people were baptized. Maybe, I don't know, we'll just throw it out there. 
right? But they used to have uh, baptisms on Easter in the early church. And if you were a candidate for baptism, if you were a new convert, you would come to the baptism wearing your old clothes. You would be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then after your baptism, you would be given a new set of clothes to wear to symbolize the new identity that you have in Christ. As Christians who've been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we received a new set of clothing. We received a new identity. It is Jesus's. Our life in his, his life in us. Right? So that's the new clothing that we have. It's the clothing that we receive from Jesus. So that means that the single most important question that we need to answer is this. Who are we? Who are we? College students know this. This is the pressing question of your day, right? There are other questions such as who am I going to be with and where am I going to go? But all the questions flow out of who am I? What is my identity? Um, it doesn't change when you get out of college. You may, you may have a little bit better idea about who you are, where you're going, and what you're doing. But we still, even as uh, adults who are out of college, we ask ourselves often, who am I? Maybe that's the question of the midlife crisis, isn't it? Uh, you kind of wake up one day and you're like, oh, oh my God, who am I? Right? Or the 30s life crisis, or the 50s life crisis, or the 60s life crisis. Right? That's the question of our life. Who are we? And for the Christian, Paul's saying, you are in Christ. That is the single most defining characteristic of you. It's not that you're an engineer or a business major or that you're a working mom or a stay-at-home mom or that you're a rich dad or a poor dad. It's none of those things. It's that you're in Jesus and that he's in you, that you've been given his righteousness, and that's the righteousness that you wear every day. So we're defined based on the clothing we've been given by Jesus. Now, if you're here this morning, um, maybe you're not a Christian, maybe you're considering becoming a Christian, I think it's important for you to understand that you're also defined based on how you respond to Jesus. If you reject Jesus, if you reject the clothing that he's offering you, then that becomes a defining characteristic about you. Uh, one, another campus minister was once talking with a student, and the student said, you know, I know that Jesus died for me. I know that he lived, he died, he rose from the grave. I know that I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. But there's just one thing I can't get over. I don't want to give up my identity. I want to have the freedom to define myself. And the campus minister looked at him and said, then you will always be defined as the person who rejected Jesus. Which identity do you want? You want the identity that receives Jesus and all of his benefits or that rejects him? So the first thing we see in this passage is that God in Christ, at our baptism, gives us a new set of clothing. He gives us a new identity. The second thing we see is that this life is logically lived out by taking off the old clothes. Okay? Verses 5 through 11. Paul says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices." 
and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. So in these verses, Paul pretty clearly lays out two different, what I'm going to call two different categories of sins, or two different uh, types of sin. Sins of the body, sexual sins, and sins of the tongue. And these are two classic ways in which Christians can be untrue to their new identity. And I think it's often for us to overemphasize one list to the exclusion of the other. Some people want to look at the sins of the body and really hone in on those sins and really hammer those sins away and talk a lot about those sins to the exclusion of sins of the tongue. And some people want to look at sins of the tongue and really focus on those and hammer people for being judgmental and critical and and on and on without looking at the other sins. What I want to try to do this morning in, in just a few minutes is really show you how both of those sins come from the same root root problem, and now how our identity changes those things. Okay, so the first thing that Paul talks about here is these sexual sins, or what I call sins against the body, because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, that he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Those sins betray our identity because they come from an idolatrous heart. Okay, so if you look at the text, what you see is Paul starts with a specific sin, and then he moves into the general He starts with sexual morality, and then he goes to impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. So what is he doing? He's sort of peeling back the layers of the onion on sexual sin. And he's saying at the core of sexual sin is idolatry. You have to go back and think about what we know about sin. Sin is parasitic. A parasite feeds on a host. So what sin does is sin attaches itself to a good, godly desire that he has given us, and he perverts it. So God has given us a good desire for physical intimacy, to be one with someone else, to be in community and relationship with someone else in the most intimate way. And what sin has done is attached it, has has latched onto it, perverted it, and taking it so that what we do is instead of worshiping God, loving him first, and our love for others flowing out of that, we take other people um, and our sexual desires, and we elevate them. And we begin to worship the creation rather than the creator. Sexual sin comes from, flows out of, worshiping the creation instead of the creator And as Christians, this betrays our identity because when we're baptized into Christ, we're saying that I no longer worship the creation. I worship God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So sexual morality betrays our identity as worshipers of God. But it's not the only thing that does that. Sins of the tongue, I think, also point to an idolatry. Word sins or sins of the tongue... Um, if you start to peel back the layer, where does it come from? Ask yourself this. What is the root of your anger? Right? Paul lists anger, malice, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. And then he talks about lying. If you peel back the layers of the onion on anger, where does it come from? 
Where does it start? Does it not start from the desire to have the entire world ordered around you? I have my desires, my wants, my needs on my timeline, and everybody else in the world better form themselves around me and what I want. What is that? That's idolatry of self. That's taking yourself and putting yourself on the throne and saying, my wants, my needs, my desire, my timeline is supreme. And everybody else better bow down and worship me. That's idolatry. That's taking the creation, us, and elevating it to the point of creator and worshiping it. Think about lying, right? When we lie, what are we doing? We're usually either lying to protect our reputation or to get approval, or we're lying to make somebody else look bad. What is the root of both those things? The root of both those things is an idolatry of self. I'm either trying to build myself up or I'm trying to tear somebody else down. So I think the root of both our sexual sins and our word sins is idolatry. And both of those things betray who we are in Christ. Um, Tim Keller tells a story that really illustrates this. He said, uh, whenever he was in college, there was a guy that, uh, that many people knew as being sexually promiscuous. That was just sort of his reputation. Then eventually he became a Christian. He was converted. So what did he do? He began to go to Bible studies. He attended Bible studies on a regular basis. But what happened when he began to attend those Bible studies is he began to take control of the Bible studies. He had to be in charge of them. And if anybody challenged his rule or offended him in the Bible study, he got angry. Now, what was happening? He just swapped out one surface sin for another. His sexual promiscuity was all about control. It was about power. His Bible study attendance was all about control. It was about power. And the root of both of those things is the same. It's idolatry. As Christians, Paul is telling us that we need to put off those old clothes, that we put off the old clothes of worshiping ourself, our desires, our actions, because we've been given a new identity, right? Life isn't all about us. College students, this is hard. This is really hard for you because college, the bubble of college is sort of this petri dish of self. Like it just breeds this, this sort of selfishness. Everything there sort of like caters around you. And that overflows into your, your dating relationships, it overflows into your marriage, it overflows into your work relationships. And one of the things that you have to do to put off those old clothes is to say, life is not about me. It's not about the self. It's about Jesus. So what do we do? When we, when we, how do we take off these old clothes? Okay, so the first thing is, when you experience temptation, either sexual temptation or lying or anger, what you have to do is begin to peel back the layers of your heart and find out what's going on. Get curious. Get curious about your heart. What, what, do I, what do I really want in this moment? What do I really need in this moment? What, what do I really feel in this moment that I have to have? Right? And if you begin to trace that back and you begin to pull the layers of the onion back, you get to the core, and it's there once you get to the core when you can begin to apply the gospel and you can begin to see that you're worshiping yourself and that Jesus has rescued you from worshiping yourself. 
You don't have to experience the, the pain, the suffering, the death of, in your life because you've been given a new way to live, a new way to worship, a new way to love others, right? So you ask yourself those questions, then you begin to take off those old clothes. You begin to talk to yourself about how they no longer define you, Jesus defines you. Uh, a few years ago at Christmas time, I got bored at my mom's house. I don't know why. I guess I was tired of watching like Christmas Story for the 1,000th time on TNT. So I decided I was going to go in the attic and I was going to clean. That's when you know you're really bored, when you just want to clean at your mom's house. So I went up to the attic, and what did I find in the attic? I found boxes and boxes of old clothes, clothes from my childhood that were covered in dirt, that were filthy and dirty, but for whatever reason, my, mom, my sweet mom had kept them. Now, what did I do when I got up there? Did I pull out those clothes and start to put them on and try them on and wear all the dirty clothes? No. <laughs> Simon's shaking his head. No, I did not. I threw the clothes out. Why? Those clothes are a remnant of an old age in my life. They're dirty. They're filthy. They don't fit anymore. I threw them out. When I need new clothes, I walk downstairs and I put on the new clothes that I got for Christmas that fit me, that were clean. Those old clothes don't fit you anymore because you're being renewed in the image of God. That's why you experience shame and guilt when you try to put on the old clothes. And, and what that, that shame and that guilt that you feel is God screaming at you, that's not who you are anymore, and, call, and drawing you out to your senses. Um, campus minister, another campus minister once told me this story. He said that uh, he had a student he was trying to meet with on campus. He'd been trying to meet with this guy over and over again. The guy kept canceling, kept canceling, kept canceling. One day they were supposed to meet at a coffee shop on campus. The campus minister showed up, and the guy no-showed on him. And the campus minister got mad. So he said, you know what? I'm going to go find this kid. He left the coffee shop. He went to the kid's room. He knocked on the door of the kid's room. The, the student comes, opens the door. The campus minister looks in and sees his girlfriend lying in bed. He looks the student right in the eye and says, that's not who you are. Turns around and walks out. Not long after that, the student contacted him. This time he showed up for the coffee meeting, and he sat down and began weeping in repentance. Because he realized that's not who he was. He was living out of his old self. He was living out of an old identity. He was putting on old clothes. And he wanted to put on new clothes. He wanted to be who he really, really, really is. He wanted to wear his dad's clothes. That's what Paul calls us to at the end of this passage, he calls us to put on these new clothes that we have been given by God. The clothes that don't worship us, that worship the creator, and that show love to everyone around us. So let's read verses 12 through 17. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive. Above all else, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus 
giving thanks to the God the Father through him. That's, that's my clap. That's right. It's a good thing to clap out. Yeah. So we should. We should all clap, right? Um, Paul is encouraging us to wear the clothes that the Father is giving us. Yes, in verse 6, he talks about wrath. But here in, in these verses, look what he talks about. Look at the motivation that he gives us for putting on God's clothes. He says that we are God's chosen ones, that we're holy and beloved, that we're his children. He's saying, put on these new clothes, not because you have to, but because you get to. Not because you're afraid of punishment, but because you're so enraptured with God's love. Right? You get to wear the clothes of your father. You get to wear what he's given you. And so what do these clothes look like? They look like compassion, a deep sensitivity to the needs of others. They look like kindness, kindness, being tender to others and being tender towards yourself. Many of us are way too harsh on ourselves. We say things to ourselves that we would never say to anybody else. Speak kindly to yourself and to others. Speak the way God would actually speak to you. Humility. Humility is foregoing your rights for the good of others. And that leads to meekness and patience. And this makes us all the type of people who are forgiving for others. We forgive others. And all these virtues that we have come from our Father. We're compassionate because he's been compassionate with us. We're kind because he has been kind to us. We're meek, patient, and forgiving because our Heavenly Father has been meek and patient and forgiving with us. And, and then we extend those things towards others. And ultimately, all these virtues flow out of the supreme virtue, the number one virtue, which is what? Love. Love is the thing that connects all of them. Love is the thing that binds all of them. One commentator said it's as if uh, that in Christ we are given a royal robe that's been placed on us, and love is the clasp that unites both sides of that robe around us. It's God's love that fills our hearts with love. It's God's love that helps us bring peace and harmony to our friendships and to our relationships all around us. It's God's love that removes our desires to worship other things. Thomas Chalmers uh, wrote a, a famous sermon called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. I've never read this sermon, but I like the title. And other people have talked about it enough. I feel like I know what the sermon says. But it's this idea that if you have a love in your heart, the only thing that's really going to drive it out is a greater love. And unfortunately, you see this a lot in dating, right? Two people are dating. One breaks up with the other person. They say, you know, I just want to be friends. I don't really want to date. And then they come across a new person that they want to date. And what happens? They're in love. They want to date that person. What happened? A greater love drove out a lesser love. Right? This happens. Um, <laughs> my old pastor used to tell this story about his, his brother, who was a very unhealthy person. You know, he, he, he did all of the things that you would say, that's, that's unhealthy. He overate, he smoked, he drank, all those things. And then he went and sought, visited him once on vacation. And he had quit all of them. He stopped overeating, he stopped drinking too much, he stopped smoking, he lost all this weight. And he said, Ricky said, what has happened to you? And he said, oh, I met a girl. 
I fell in love. His love for the girl drove out his love for all the unhealthy behaviors. Right? For us to develop a greater love for the Father and for living in ways that glorify him, we have to have a greater love in our hearts. We have to have God's love drive out the love of self that rules us every day. And where do we see God's love displayed most clearly? It's on the cross. Jesus wore clothes on the cross. And we always see these pictures of him being naked. And I don't know how much clothing he wore, but in the story, if you read it, it's interesting. It says that, um, that Jesus uh, had clothes on and they stripped him. Then they put a robe on him. And they stripped him of the robe and they gave him his clothes back. So at some point, he was wearing clothing up until the cross. Now, we know that the, the Roman soldiers eventually took his garments off, and they casted lots for them, and they, they stole those garments. But what, what clothing was Jesus wearing as he went to the cross, or as he was on the cross until the point in which they took his clothing? What clothes was he wearing? He was wearing our filthy rags. He was wearing our sin. He was wearing our sexual immorality. He was wearing our lying. He was wearing our anger, our wrath, our malice, our slander. And why did he wear those things? He didn't have to. From all eternity, he was wrapped in light. He was wearing a robe of splendorous light with a father. He left that robe. He took on our filthy rags so that we could have his robe of righteousness, so that we could have his clothing so that we could wear it around in love, so that the love of the Father could be lavished upon us, and then we could wear it to God's glory every day. Um, and it's that, it's that motivation of love that keeps us taking off the old clothes and putting on the new clothes. Uh, whenever I was a kid, I spent a lot of time with my grandpa. I grew up on a farm, and he lived right next door to us. And so, I mean, pretty much every summer, almost daily, I would go spend time with my grandpa. And so we, we developed a, a lot of love and affection for each other. We, we worked together. We went fishing together. We ate lunch together. We rode in the truck together. We just spent a ton of time together. And my grandpa had a very distinctive attire. He always wore overalls, right? Students, I don't even know if you know what. Think about like, you know what overalls are? Yeah, okay. He wore overalls all the time with cowboy boots. But he always had one pant leg up like tucked in the top of his boot and one pant leg down, right? And then he, he always wore a, a trucker cap, like a farming cap, but it wasn't like a cool one like you guys wear now. It was a foam one with mesh on it that somebody had given him at like a tractor auction or something like that, right? Like it was just like a, a giveaway hat. He'd always wear it on his head, cockeyed. He never pulled it down. It was always sitting there sideways. But that's how he always, that's what he wore all the time. You looked in his closet and it was just overalls, trucker hats, cowboy boots, that was it. And uh, whenever, he, whenever he passed away, my grandma, I was probably, I was 18 whenever he passed away. When he passed away, my grandma let me come over and look through his closet. She said, you can have whatever you want out of his closet. And, and there sitting in the closet uh, was a pair of boots that he only wore on nice occasions. And I took those boots. I still have those boots 20 years later. And every now and then, I pull those boots out of the closet and I wear them. You know why I wear them? Not because um, 
I'm afraid of forgetting the memory of my grandpa, not because he's angry at me or he's looking down from heaven going, man, he better wear those boots. I wear those boots because I love my grandpa and because he loved me. And that's what it looks like to grow in holiness. We wear our father's clothes because he loves us and we love him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you would give us a new set of clothes. That you'd wash us and cleanse us in Christ. We thank you that we're not defined by our sexual morality. We're not defined by our anger. We're not defined by our, our idolatry of self. We're defined by you and your love. And you've given us a new way to live and a new way to think. And we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you'd help us to live that out every day. Give us the grace to take off those old clothes when we want to crawl back in the attic and put them on. And give us the grace to put on your new clothes, to put on love, kindness, peace, patience, humility. We thank you that you loved us in Christ, and we pray that you would fill our hearts with love for the Holy Spirit and that you would uh, drive out all the other loves that we have. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.